here are the Yankee Clippers for now. Um, how's it going, Sean? Tom, what's up, man? How you doing today? Doing all right. Coming off a great Yankee win last night. They are on such a roll. Nail biter, but the game the game was a win, so that's all that matters. Thirteen to fourteen now. They're just cruising, on, clicking on all cylinders too. Yeah, and you know, midseason they're going to go into another slump. It's like every other season, but. You know, it, it was scary just at the beginning of the year because everything was new. Stanton seems to be slightly turning a corner. He's still going to swing at um, bad pitches. He's still going to strike out. But if he does it, you know, 10 to 20% less than he did at the beginning of the year and puts the ball in play a little bit more and tries to work a walk here and there, I'll take it. Yeah, he had a big game against Keuchel too, right after uh, Sanchez's home run the night before. Yeah, Sanchez is heating up. Yeah, they're clicking on all cylinders. That offense is its a really circular lineup right now. The starting pitching has been great. Um, the bullpen has, too, up until the last two days, but they've still managed to win those games. Uh, they're a fun team to watch right now. They really are. Far cry from two weeks ago. Yeah, definitely excited for the summer coming up. Uh, probably the best Yankees team since 2009. Um, but let's jump into something a little more relevant right now before we talk MLB. Uh, that's the NBA. Um We'll start with the Western Conference before we go um, into the East and how stupid I look as of right now. Things flip flip in a hurry, though. Things flip in a hurry. Um, Golden State, New Orleans. We'll start off with that. I knew New Orleans was going to take – I don't want to say I knew, but I felt that New Orleans was going to take one. I believe we said that on the last podcast. I think – I think that um, it's going to be a 4-1 series. I think New Orleans got their one right there. Davis is a, is a beast. And Rondo was mixing it up, trying to fight everybody. And Drew Holiday had a great game as well. But I think that from here on out, it's going to be Warriors, you know? Oh, for sure. And, you know, if you look back on game one, New Orleans probably played the best that they could possibly play out in Golden State. They really played a good game. Davis was unguardable. Holiday played well. Rondo was mixing it up, as you said. They were clicking on all cylinders, but Golden State, when they play real Golden State basketball, they're just not going to lose. Last night had that feeling of how the NBA playoffs generally go, right? The home team wins both games. They're going to take one. And then down 0-2, New Orleans is going to play their best basketball game of the season, rally off that home crowd down in New Orleans, get that game. Golden State didn't play great uh, they certainly wasn't. It reminded me a lot of that game four down in San Antonio. But yeah. they'll they'll come back in, on Sunday and take care of business. Typically, in, in unless it's a, an amazing team, unless it's the Warriors against the eighth seed, especially when you get into the second round, the home team usually gets one. You know, the under the underdog home team usually steals one. I, don't know, I wouldn't call it steal, but and. The Warriors are just so great that they were still favored in this game, but yeah, that was a blowout. But I don't think I don't think that anybody should think too much of this. I think it was a one one game thing. Yeah, it, it had a lot of that uh, Minnesota over uh, Houston game three feel from a couple weeks back in the first round. Yeah, They're I playing mean, they that, have their best possible game. So. They have talent, obviously. Uh, after what they what they did to Portland, but they're just no match for Golden State. And Golden State, you know, if they if they didn't play their best game. Uh, Durant was not was not his usual self. Uh, Curry wasn't hitting his threes. 
Uh, defensively, they lagged a little bit, but that's to be understood when you have Holiday playing out of his mind and you have Davis being Anthony Davis, which you mentioned could be just talent-wise the best player in the NBA right now. He's definitely top three. Um, but I fully expect Golden State to win game four and then go back to California and take game five and get some rest before the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, um, I think that I completely agree with you. I think this one ends in five. Um, and that segues us into the other Western Conference series. I think this one, they, this one might go a little bit longer. Although Houston looked great last night, they were clicking on all cylinders. But um, if if they can stifle James Harden like they did a little bit and slow him down in Game Two, um, they could push this one a little bit further. And I think Houston's going to end up coming out on top. But maybe the Jazz can slow them down enough to where the rested Warriors can um, take care of the Rockets in the next round. Yeah, for sure. Donovan Mitchell's the real deal, though. Oh, he is. That game two performance he had was just unbelievable. And I truly believe that if Utah can find a way to win game four at home, I think this series could go seven, um, maybe split the next two in Houston. Because I really think Utah has – they have that talent. And I, the jury's still out for me. I'd like to get your thoughts on it, but the jury's still out for me with Paul and Harden's playoff uh, playoff performances. They've been great so far, the, the but they haven't is, had to worry too much, and they ha- they really haven't been backs up against the wall yet. The thing is, you see signs of it um, in each game. They're just so much more talented that that kind of outweighs it, but they're not going to be so much more talented in the next round. But you see it. you know, James Harden with um, Dante Exum giving him a hard time kind of um, stuttered, and then Chris Paul didn't have a great game in Game 2 either. And they that can happen a lot more frequently um, when it comes to the next series. And, and, you know, sometimes they just don't seem locked in, and then you see James Harden on the bench for an extended period of time in Game 2. And if that happens against Golden State, that's going to be a real problem for them. But, you know, I, I'd rather I, – I think that this series is going to go 6 and I think it's going to be still um, Houston. Uh, the best that they can do is slow him down. But I want to talk about Donovan Mitchell because I think that he has a chance to be, you know, a top ten player in the NBA just by watching his game He's this year. He's top twenty already. Yeah. Well, I mean, the combination of the skill that he already possesses and the drive that he has, and how hard he works, and supposedly, and and the athleticism is incredible. I mean, he has. anywhere in the gym range, anywhere past half-court range already, not to mention the fact that he can go by anyone. And when he does, you're watching him finish on these plays where he has crazy hang time, and he can switch hands, finish with either hand so easily. He just has so many moves in his arsenal already as a rookie that I can only see him getting better from here. I don't think this is ceiling by any means. No, I mean, I think he's arguably top 20 right now probably top 25 and by the end of next year you could look at him in that top 10 range he's that good and he has the mentality to complement his talent uh, you know I was watching that game too especially down the stretch when Utah was trying to hold on to that lead um, Houston was making making some shots that looked like they were going to try to get back into that game uh, it was consistently seven or eight points nine um, Utah would get it down to, or uh, sorry, Houston would get it down to around four or five, 
But then here came Donovan Mitchell, and he just had that mentality where I'm putting this team on my back, whether it was with a great pass after drawing a double team, whether it was going to the rim, whether it was pulling up from mid-range or hitting a three. He's got, he can do it all on the court, and I think it's amazing how good his confidence is right now. And I think he's just going to elevate himself to that next strata player going forward. Yeah, and this is a really good Jazz team. Houston just has more talent, and they play they play a really good brand of basketball to match up with them. I think this series would also be a lot more interesting if Rick Rubio was healthy. Um, he's a perfect complement to Donovan Mitchell because he doesn't need the ball in his hands. He's a great passer. Well, look what he did against uh, what against Oklahoma City with that triple double in Game Three. Yeah, no, he doesn't. He he's knocking down his shot a lot more consistently than he ever did in Minnesota and he's a great passer really really good defender when healthy but it's just it sucks because this series would have been a lot more interesting if he was 100 percent but um why don't we move on because we think that it's going to be Golden State Houston just like we thought all along um I think it, I think Golden State's going to wrap that up like we said um next two games and Houston it might be a little more interesting um, we can move on to LeBron, the Cleveland LeBrons. The what Cleveland did they call LeBrons. it? Um, Bronto or whatever? <laughs> God. To Bronto. Because, I mean, this team, I if they don't win a game this series, or if they actually no, if they don't win two games this series, especially after watching the Indiana Pacers, who are a uh, not nearly as good of a team as the Raptors this year in the regular season. Take them to seven. Do they have to blow this team up? Do they have to get rid of one of the two guys? And and I mean, they have a deeper bench this year. Supposedly, this team was supposed to be different. I see the same old Toronto Raptors. I see DeMar DeRozan going back to his old ways, taking mid-range jump shots and missing a lot of them. Kyle Lowry just getting really small in the big moments and them not taking threes like they were in the regular season or doing anything that got them there. Hey, man, I, totally, scaring I totally agree with you. I think you, you put it all perfectly. I, I, were, I was having the exact same thoughts watching games one and two. It, the thing about them is, and we were even saying on previous podcasts, that there's that missing ingredient with them. And you're not sure what it is. It's not. It doesn't even have to be an explosive player. It just seems that they are a team that's tailor made for the regular season. And they've never I, had like a guy that they signed that was like a former, like a Paul Pierce, for example. No. When he went to, not that the Nets were any good, um, and Boston kind of ended up robbing the Nets with those trades. Kind of. They they don't have any of those players that have a winner's mentality um, on the team. So it, it they've never they've never had like they never went out and got a Kendrick Perkins just to sit on the bench. Just well, they to be were a hoping Serge Ibaka was going to be that. I know he's not an NBA champion, but he played in a lot of big series and an NBA Finals with Oklahoma City when he was young, and he was just riding the coattails of the rest of them. Um, but you know, they you never see them go out and get a guy who's won it before. They don't. They're just like the Wizards. All the, the Wizards had, you know, some of their best success when they had Paul Pierce on the team, just to be there as like somewhat of a mentor and a guy that was there. Yeah, before. occasionally hit a big shot when you need exactly. it. Exactly, and I just think that um, if you know, they had to win game one. Game one, 
they the Cleveland didn't win that game. They um, Toronto 100% threw that game away. Literally, LeBron put the team on his back and had an incredible game that we don't even realize is incredible because it's LeBron. And, and he, he does has it an all incredible game every night. But, you know, the fact that no one else on Cleveland was playing good and they still won, that's the definition of stealing a game. And then you knew you weren't going to be able to keep Kevin Love down for that long. He's too talented. Drops 31 in the second game. You cannot get him hot. And now, honestly, I think the series is done in five because now Kevin Love's feeling confident. You got the you got Tristan Thompson decided to wake up and and stop you know doing the fucking Kardashian thing and actually decide that he wanted to play basketball again and maybe try and go to a championship. And, and you know if Toronto. Had had taken care of business and and beat the Cavs in Game One. I think this would be a different series. Maybe the Cavs still win Game Two, but at least you still have that confidence, and at least you can say maybe this series goes six or seven. I still think it's the Cavs. I think this is they look like a broken team. You know what? Broken is the right word because it's so in their heads that they can't even win those games at home. It's not like they coughed them up in Cleveland. They coughed them up at home where they're supposed to, what is it, we run the North or own the North or something like no, that. No, LeBron owns the yeah, North. Yeah, exactly. And I, it's amazing how much six days changes everything. Last time we did this, we were awaiting a Game 7. We both un- truly believed that Cleveland would win that game, but still the fact that Indiana pushed them to 7 – was pretty remarkable and you thought you know they'd have to go play a more rested Toronto team up in Canada two days later and yeah we had done a lot of um we'd done a lot of talking about how LeBron has their number and they don't have anybody to stop James and so on and so forth but we also acknowledge that this is a much weaker Cleveland team than the years past um but it sure as hell doesn't look that way and it LeBron James I was too young. We were both too young to watch Jordan in his prime. We watched Kobe. Uh, we grew up with Kobe closing out series with the huge shots and winning a lot of titles, especially after Shaq left. I don't know if there's a better postseason performer than LeBron James. And I know he had that 2011 finals no, that yeah. everyone's going to go back to. But with the exception of that, we highlighted uh, last show about what he did against Detroit uh, in 2007 to get that awful Cleveland team to the NBA finals. He puts the team in a position where no other player can and he is, he's elevating himself. There's no other player that could take this Cleveland team to the heights in which he has. And he and there's nobody who can stop him on the Raptors. This I thought the Raptors could maybe win, at least get it to six or seven where they're back home. I'm with you, Tom. I think five, six games, I think five probably, especially since Cleveland's going home up 2-0. This series is over. They want to close it out as soon as they can because – if Philly can find a way to win one or two at home, that series could go long. And Absolutely. you know Cleveland wants as much rest as they possibly can because they're going to get a big fight from whoever wins that second series. Yeah, no, and then talking about LeBron, you know, it's he's had different chapters to his career and it's kind of just like being pieced together now, you know. he's His jump shot's never been more consistent. He's still one of the best athletes that they have in the league and he was the best athlete probably – one of the best athletes ever for for his entire career. And now the only thing that's that's a little iffy is his free throws that they've been kind of messing with him on, the refs, because he got that lane violation because he kind of leans in on his free throws. 
Um, but besides that, you know, that may that may come to bite him in the ass in either the next series or if they go to the finals. But yeah, no, LeBron. There's nobody else that can do it like him, and there's nobody else that could even take this team to this round. I don't think in this league. I don't think Durant could do it. I don't think Davis could do it. There's literally nothing. Um, he's taken a bunch of you know, C-minus players besides Kevin Love and making them Bs and B-pluses. And there's only been a few players that have had the ability to do that in the history of basketball. You know, you're talking Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. Michael Jordan did it in a different way because he pretty much just dragged them, dragged whoever he had. Um, He didn't seem to make anybody better, but he just said, I'm not losing this fucking game. (laughs) And it was kind of the same and not as... Not as big, but kind of the same as Kobe. Um, but you've only seen a few players take these guys and turn them into better players. And another guy that I think can do it, segueing into Philly, in a, in a few years is Ben Simmons, who just seems to make everybody around him better, except he just can't make himself better by scoring one point. Yeah, exactly. And I was waiting for this one because of your because yeah, of your yeah. pick. And listen, I I'm I'm not gonna throw you under the bus. I just I I respected I respect Boston too much. It wasn't a product so much of Philly because they were impressive against the Heat. And I know the Heat are not what the Celtics are, even without. Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward and yeah no and, and, the, I and think, the slight injury to Jalen Brown's hamstring. I think that we should honestly take a moment and really uh, truly appreciate the coaching job by probably the best coach in the league by a million miles, Brad Stevens. You know, put people, him right up there with Popovich. No, I, I would at this point I'm well ahead of Popovich. You know, Popovich is on the back nine. Of course, he's a great coach all time. He's one of the greatest coaches ever. You can put him up there with Pat Riley and um, Phil Jackson. Um, but you know, it, it's Stevens. It's just like no matter who they plug in, I'm confident now that they could take Shane Larkin if Terry if Terry Rozier turn tore scary Terry tore his ACL. If he tore his ACL today, they could put Shane Larkin in that starting spot, and I still think he would play great. And it's just we have to keep in mind that Gordon Hayward was probably a top 25 player in the NBA. Kyrie played five minutes this season, not even. Kyrie Irving was a, is a top 10 player in the NBA, played you know, half the season. And then you got Jalen Brown hurt. You got a rookie in Jason Tatum who just turned 20 years old halfway through the season. We're older. We're both older than him. It's depress. It's very depressing. Yeah, sure, um, sure as hell is. Not to mention that you have a guy in Terry Rozier who, on any other team, is probably a backup point guard, um, playing like he is a starting all star. He's playing like Kyrie guard. Irving. He he looks like Victor Oladipo out there on the defensive and the offensive end. Crazy athletic. And he can play both sides of the ball. And this team, with all that being said, is up 2-0 on probably the most talented team in the Eastern Conference and one of the youngest, most talented teams the NBA's seen in a really long time. Oh, yeah. And the reason that I was skeptical about getting on the bandwagon with you as far as you were with with the uh, Sixers is it certainly is not about their talent. Their talent is undeniably great. Two transcendent building block talents in Embiid and Simmons, but... They're not battle-tested, and they haven't been there before. And a team like Boston is tough because even depleted, even hurting, with the coaching advantage that they have with Stevens, with the grit 
and the toughness of a lot of those players. You know, you get a Marcus Morris, you get a Marcus Smart, you get a Terry Rozier. A lot of these guys are just battle-tested, man. They play so hard on both ends of the floor. They hit big shots when you need them to. And that game, too, looked like, of course, Simmons scoring one point hurts. But it, 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 he even said in the post game. He lost his mentality. He lost his aggressiveness. And you're playing in front of that crowd at TD Garden. I know it's not the I know it's not the old Boston Garden, but it's still got some. It's got a history of winning in its infancy, uh, its first twenty years. And they remind you that they're they have that mystique and aura at home, where even if it's not as good of a team talent wise. They are not going to fall down. They're not going to fold, and they're and they probably are the toughest team in the Eastern Conference right now, just simply because of what they can do, talent wise. If they squeak by and and beat uh, Philadelphia, I I don't think they're going to be a huge match for Cleveland. I think they're just going to run out of gas. But they look so tough. They look they look so experienced and prepared to win these games. And that was the young Philly in game two. They were up. They were dominating. They looked unbelievable. I turned the game off. It was a 25-point lead. I didn't think it was there was any chance. And I was watching some baseball game instead. I think like Red Sox, Rangers. And then I, turned, I checked Bleacher Report. I was like, oh, my God, this is a four-point game. And then once Boston had that, you could see Simmons kind of had that deer in the headlights look. And I tell you, if if Philly can't find a way to win game three, this might be a sweep, if not certainly a five-game win for Boston. Yeah, no, I think Philly, I mean, quite clearly, has got to win both games at home. And they've got to win them handily because just for mental state, They've got to win both handily just to know that they're still in the series. You know, if they have a one-point win, I think that they're going to end up – this series ends up, you know, going six, even if they win both games. Um, Yeah, I mean, I thought that they had the experience on Philly, even though they're predominantly a young team at their core. J.J. Redick, like I said, has been in the playoffs every single uh, season of his career. Marco Bellinelli, same thing. He's been on the Spurs. He's been on a lot of winning teams. He knows he knows how to win um, big basketball games, but uh, it's just it's incredible. I mean, Terry Rozier is a restricted free agent at the end of the season. I'm really interested to see what he gets. He looks like an above average you know player at this point. Um, it's just crazy to think. I, I'm just thinking of him personally, like if he was on the Knicks. And he'd probably be in the D League right now because of how horrible, you know, the coaching is. But, well, they did get a new coach, so we'll have to see. But, yeah, I mean, you might be right. This series might go seven, but I don't know. I, I, I don't even know. I don't know what to say at this point. I'm if, sorry. If Philly I'm lo- sorry. <laughs> hey, I like the fact that you showed some confidence and conviction, not backing down and taking the young Sixers all the way to the NBA Finals. I can, I can respect that. Yeah, I mean... A little ballsy, but I can respect it. I like to think that the Sixers can turn this around just based off talent. If if they go in there and blow out the Celtics in Game 3 and get their mojo back, this could game this series could easily go 7. An NBA Simmons series... Simmons has a triple-double, you know, Embiid has 35 points, and Redick goes, you know, 7 for 10 from 3, which he basically did in the first half of that game put them up 22 but if they can do something like that this series might go seven might go the Sixers way 
an but, NBA series between two teams that are this evenly matched, because I do believe between the explosiveness of the young Sixers and the uh, mental fortitude and toughness of an experienced Boston team, albeit depleted, um, I think they match up pretty well with each other, just in different facets. Um, but it, that game three is pivotal, and it can and it can alter. You know, you can change your opinion on a series at a drop of a hat. It's so quick. If Philly comes We've been out doing that a lot, a this lot. whole playoffs. But you know what? That's the exciting thing about the NBA playoffs is you that game three when a home team when a team comes home down 0-2. They're going to probably play their best basketball game of the season. That's just a trend. That's how it always happens. But then it's about that fourth game and whether they can carry the momentum, and that shows the difference between a team that just plays their best, know they're out, or a team that says, no, this is our chance. I mean, Boston is doesn't have the talent, and if they get shaken up a little bit and Philly, like you said, gets their mojo back and Simmons maybe throws up a triple-double or Embiid puts up 35 – segue into a game four and if they can go back to Boston tied then all you know it's anybody's guess but I do think if Boston can win game three this is a four or five game series and they would need it desperately because it looks like Cleveland's going to close it out in four or five so they need as much rest as they can get yeah I mean I'm I'm a little depressed I feel like fucking idiot I, I I don't know I mean listen I, man they're a year I think they're a year too early I you think should always trust at this point right now, after seeing the last few years, you should always trust LeBron, and you should always trust Brad Stevens. Yeah, but you know if what? Brad Stevens, Brad Stevens, I wish he was my dad. This was... <laughs> I do. I wish he was my dad. This was, this was a series, or this was a season, rather, where everyone put the Warriors and Rockets together in the West. Everybody put the Celtics and Cavs, and it was going to be that amazing epic matchup between Kyrie's new team against LeBron. And then it looks like it's going to come to fruition. Injuries, you know, kind of changed that. Philadelphia came out of nowhere. I think everybody expected them to be better, but I don't think anybody could have predicted that they were going to be the third seed in the East. And they they came out like a bat out of hell in the second half, particularly after the All-Star game. And listen, I think... The reason that you just jumped on the bandwagon so hard was we don't want to see the same old, same old in the in the NBA. That's what fans, you know, we've been clamoring. And I say we as casual fans of teams that are not any good and are not playing playoff basketball and probably won't be playing basketball, playoff basketball anytime soon in our local New York teams. It, you you root for that new story. Philadelphia is fun. When they click, they really look like they're a tough out. But – you're right. LeBron James in playoff mode is one of the best of all time. And Brad Stevens coaching an experienced, tough uh, Boston team, even without its two stars, it, it's something that's hard to go up against in the postseason. Postseason games are won a lot, not just off talent. If you look at the Warriors, they have that perfect combination of talent but also experienced because they played in so many huge games in the last four or five years. Philadelphia hasn't been there yet, and they're only going to get better from this. This reminds me a lot of a Michael Jordan Bulls team when they were starting to ascend in the East back in the late 80s, going against the Bad Boy Pistons and the Larry Bird Celtics. You know, they're they're there, but they're not there yet. They're there from a talent perspective, but they're not. Because those Piston teams, even if they weren't as good or they were injured, 
found a way to win, especially in Detroit. Those Larry Bird teams, as they were getting older, always found a way to win in Boston against probably more talented teams. Um, and Philadelphia is going to have their run. I don't think that's any. There's any question about that. This just you know, it, it, just enjoy it right Came now. Came a little bit and, early. Yeah, unexpectedly early. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to think of this series anymore. I don't know what to think of my life anymore. I'm Dude, just I'm it's heartbroken. The, it's a Sixers pick. You're not even a Sixers fan. I know. Speaking, it's okay. Speaking of who I'm a fan of. Um, Give me your thoughts. New basketball coach again. The Knicks got a new coach. This is some off-season stuff, but it's been the Knicks off-season for like a month and a half now, so we might as well that's talk a, about that's it. That's a little generous. They went out and hired David Fisdale. My first reaction is, at least it's not Mark Jackson. Okay, now I, I saw a few things. One, I saw that he was driving to Latvia. I mean, flying. Maybe he'll drive to <laughs> Latvia. Maybe he'll maybe he'll drive to Latvia. I don't know. If he could find a way, that, that'd be something. I maybe I would be really impressed <laughs> uh, as the first impression of the team. Um, he didn't really make a good impression with um, his other superstar, I guess, uh, big man in Marcus Saul. Um, kind of pushed him out in uh, Memphis. Wasn't really a good situation in the end, as Memphis is going to be uh, a top lottery team this year, but. You know he's gonna he's gonna go meet with Porzingis, which is a great start. Um, I also read on Bleacher Report that the Knicks went out and got him to clear cap space and court LeBron. Stop it! Just oh my just God. stop it! Wouldn't that be just such a Knicks thing to do? Yeah, and LeBron's then, not coming to New York. And then the last time that happened, we ended up with Amari Stoudemire, and they <laughs> and, and his sixty-year-old knees. And I believe they um, amnestied someone's contract. I don't remember who. But Marbury. They, yeah. Stefan Marbury. They amnestied that, that contract and then ended up getting stuck for the next like three to four years when there were other really good free agents that were willing to come to the Knicks and play with Carmelo by the time he got there. But let's not talk about the past, okay? <laughs> let's, not, let's not talk about the past. I'm, I'm happy with this. It, I don't know if Fizdale is a player development coach, but we're going to find out really quick. I think he's a good basketball mind, and I just appreciate the fact this is how sad the Knicks are and how sad of a fan I am. I appreciate the fact that they didn't go after the name um, and they didn't make a hire where they were just like, oh, this will shut the fans up and this will get them to buy those season tickets and this will fill the garden by getting uh, a senile Phil Jackson who is in fucking Wyoming during free agent time and time to go watch prospects smoking a fucking dupe, as he would probably say, instead of going to these colleges and watching these players, and he would never go overseas and whatever. I mean, yeah, he drafted Porzingis, but it fell in his goddamn lap. I was just going to say, that was <laughs> that is the most, that's like the Jerry Reese Odell Beckham argument. Of course he made that pick at that point, but... You know, uh, that's all. I'm. Ha- it's like the Jets. You know, they they dumb luck their way into Sam Darnold, and maybe the Knicks dumb luck their way into Fizdale. I don't know why he took the job. Maybe there weren't better offers out there for him. I either Fizdale, there's only thirty jobs in the NBA. Yes, Fizdale was my third choice as a coach. I wanted uh, Becky. Uh, what's what's the Spurs? Is Becky it, Hamlin. I wanted her. She's really smart. And it goes against everything the Knicks would do because, 
I mean, do I have to rattle off the names of the Isaiah Thomas? Need I say much more? No. Yeah, he's a bad guy. <laughs> um, great player, bad guy. But I don't think I need to say anything more about that. The second was uh, Mike, whatever his name is, Odin from Atlanta. From Atlanta. Yeah. yeah, you know, he. If you can get that Atlanta Hawks team looking back at it to a one seed and winning sixty games, and you know, being a one seed, I think two or th- two years in a row, you know, I think you're a pretty good, pretty good um, coach. Oh, I agree. You know, so. Vizzo was my third option. Um, my basement options were Van Gundy and Jackson. I just think if it didn't, you know, if it didn't really come I was hoping much, Kenny the Jet Smith myself for you, then they could have had the entire TNT crew do, as your assistant coaches. I, don't, <laughs> I want a winning basketball team. I don't want a reality TV show. I don't fucking care about Kenny the You might Kenny want to find a new Smith. team. I mean, listen, he's, he's a great announcer, and you know what? He maybe when um, Roy Williams retires, he'll be the North Carolina coach, and then he'll move on into the NBA, and he'll be great. But I just I I want a coach. I don't want the coach to be a bigger story than Porzingis. I just want I want Brad Stevens. Okay. You know who you'd want? I just want Brad Stevens. <laughs> I I laugh at this because you and I differ with our opinions of our basketball teams, and. It's so funny to think about, and no real basketball fan can argue. The there's actually stability in in the Brooklyn organization, and yes, there, you know, there was it. It took it took a long time since the Jason Kidd Vince Carter years. It's been a really rocky road for for the New Jersey Brooklyn Nets, but you know there's light at the end of the tunnel. You have a guy who can be an All Star and D'Angelo Russell, probably a second or third best player. I think he could be the third best player on a championship team. Yeah, but what? And you have a lot of young talent. You have all your picks coming up, which is the most important yeah, thing. Yeah, starting next year. And you have a really good infrastructure of a GM and a coach. Yeah, the GM is uh, is a San Antonio guy. So he he he's Sean Marks. He he's been in the best and most successful organization in the in the league over the last ten years. Anyone from that Popovich tree, you have to trust. And Kenny Atkinson was. Uh, Budenholzer's head assistant on that one seed Atlanta team. No, yeah, and absolutely. His, and his calling card is player development. And the only reason I wanted to just mention the Nets kind of as a little caveat is, hey, when do we ever get to talk about the Nets? But most importantly is to show the comparison between what the Knicks are doing right now and they can look across at their little brothers across the bridge and just see. You know, the Nets are not fooling anybody as far as a team that's going to try to win they need to develop young players, even w- especially without their draft picks. They have to take chances on former lottery picks. A guy like D'Angelo Russell so far on one year has lo- has worked out. Um, Julio Okafor, not as much, but that's okay. You take chances on those guys when you don't have your own picks. You sign savvy veterans who maybe fell out of love in, an, in another place, um, and you develop these late first-rounders, second-round talent, or uh, former first-round picks. The Knicks, what they need to do is, I totally agree with what you're saying, and all the expletives that you threw in there were definitely needed as a uh, as a feeling about what the Knicks have done in the past. Just but to summarize the Knicks, I just want exactly what you're saying. I just want some competency and a, a, and a streamlined plan throughout the entire front office. I want everybody to be on the same page. I don't want to hear about any sexual harassment. I don't want to hear how Phil Jackson hasn't been in the arena for, for six months because 
He fell asleep in <laughs> in his cabin in Wyoming. I just want people that like basketball and that care about it. I don't care about I don't want anything else. James Dolan, just do what you did with the New York Rangers. Just hire basketball people that aren't 150 years old and stay the hell out of the way. Go play in your jazz band. Go on tour. Hey, you know what? Maybe think about selling the goddamn team. <laughs> and I just want that. And that's it. I think that's all that needs to be said so the, about the Knicks. So the Fisdale hire is, if it is the case that they're doing it to lure uh, LeBron James, which is the most ridiculous statement. I can't even believe I'm mentioning that. Uh, this is not 2010, and LeBron James, if he's leaving Cleveland, which we I do believe he will, is not leaving to go to an even more unstable franchise. Philly or L.A., that's what's being said. Yep, and I could, I could easily see either of those. I think what they wanted to accomplish with this hire is because if you're – the NBA is a brotherhood, and regardless of what you think about LeBron James, I'm not his biggest fan, although I admit his greatness, it's undeniable, but – you know, if you if LeBron James is telling everybody how much he loved you as a coach when you were on those Miami teams, and how upset he was when he was let go by the Grizzlies. Yeah, why isn't he coaching the Cavaliers right now? Why is Tyron Lue who? So that's kind of it. Where team where the hope I think by the Knicks and Scott Perry, and um, and Steve Mills are probably looking at and saying, hey, you know what? It's not going to be LeBron, but if LeBron is telling everybody how good of a coach this guy is, you could their hope. I don't think it's going to happen, but their hope is that some some of those top tier free agents are going to want to come play for the Knicks. But for you guys and all Knicks fans alike, for what you're requesting, you need to develop players. Okay, Porzingis is still very unproven in my opinion, and he's hurt a lot and coming off a big the time is injury. A much bigger concern than the skill. The skill is completely the, well. There. The skill is there, but he hasn't. It has never been his team before up until this year. Carmelo was able to re- well. He was playing like an MVP. Not to not to be too early on, but he was playing like an MVP. On. And I don't think it has anything to do with his skill. I think he even admitted before he got hurt he was tired, which can't have that as your third year in the NBA. And the injury things. It's the injury thing and the stamina. It has nothing to do with his but ability. look at the guys that you have, right? He like, comes out every year like a bat out of hell, looking like a first-team All-NBAer, and then you're two and a half months into the season, and you got him saying he's tired. Fisdale. I'm tired. I hate my job. I'm tired. Fisdale. I still work. I still perform. Fisdale, and you're not doing it in front of 50,000 people every night either. Fisdale, yeah. what... And I make a little less. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> Fisdale, what he needs to do is put the premium on not so much attracting the free agents, because you'd hope for free agents. Did but you if say you Phil look- Jackson? No, Fisdale. Oh. <laughs> Phil Jackson. No, no, no. No, 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 no. I, I'm not going to give God. you that scare. Um, I think what you hope is is that he can develop players, because Trey Burke came out of nowhere, played great this year. But you want to see him do it again. You have uh, Frank Nittlekina, who I know was not his pick, but that's still a first-round lottery pick. You yep. you need to develop him. If you look up and down the, the landscape of the NBA, yeah, you have teams that like a Boston that got Kyrie in his prime, or you have – uh, Golden State that went out and got Durant, but the but the foundations of those organizations are already. homegrown, developed players that yes, they picked. Exactly. So what the Knicks need to do, considering the fact that they're picking in the lottery every year, is they need a coach that is not going to worry about 
or having to worry about making the postseason. You know, you look at at uh, Kenny Atkinson. Their team is not going to disguise any is, is not disguised as a playoff team. They're not a playoff team. But uh, but watching the Nets this year, they were in basically every single game. And the reason being is that their young players every year under him have gotten better. And he gives them the opportunity to get better. If they play poorly, he's not going to sit them. They're going to have the opportunity to grow. I think the Knicks are caught in that in-between where, you know, you have a couple of good games by Neil Kina, and then Hornacek's take not even playing him in the next game for more than five minutes because yeah. Jarrett Jack is going to give you better numbers and they're thinking that with more games that they win, there's a chance for A, for him to keep his job, and B, that they could maybe squeak into the eight seed of the playoffs, which really in the yeah. NBA is purgatory. You don't want to be a seven or eight seed, and you don't want to be at that nine or the ten where you're not drafting in the top six or seven picks. And Fisdale, is, his biggest calling card is the veterans that love to play for him. But that's not what the Knicks should be primarily concerned about. Because you've seen how that's worked over the last decade, hell, even longer than that. And it clearly is not the way to go, especially if you look at how the NBA is built now. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree. I think we're talking a little too much about two teams that, as we said a little bit earlier, were eliminated from the playoffs, I think, the first game of the season. But what I, what I really want to see from, from the Knicks and Fisdale is a few things. I want If you like Trey Burke, I want to see him develop as a player next season, if, if you do like him. Um, Porzingis, of course. Um, Nilakina, I want... I'd like to see him come out, shoot better from three, maybe be a little more aggressive offensively. Give him the opportunity to do so. Well, yeah, exactly. And he can't do anything without that opportunity. And then the last thing I really don't want to see the Knicks do, please don't go out and get a guy like Terry Rozier. This, it, it, because you know what? They're going to have to they're gonna have to give him his restricted free agent version of the max, and then you're going to be stuck with this guy. And the cap's going to fluctuate, and then you're going to, there's going to be, every, it happens every time. They go after they go after LeBron, they clear the cap space for him, they don't get him, they get Amari Sotomayor, and then 50 free agents that could have really helped the team pass him by. I like Terry Rozier. I think he's more product of his environment. Um, he reminds me a lot, and I think I said this earlier, of a player like Reggie Jackson on the Thunder. Um, I mean, Terry Rozier, the reason why Reggie Jackson isn't that good has nothing to do with talent. He was explosive, athletic, and the only reason why he's not as great in Detroit is due to supposedly work ethic, and he's hurt all the time. And I, I maybe he just needed some shine, but if the Knicks are going to go out and get a guy like him, and I could see that talk happening because they do have the cap space, just please don't give him the How crazy deal. How many guards deal. do you need, though, man? You, you, the Knicks have, ha, the, the Knicks have Moutier. They have Nidalkina. They have Trey Burke. The only guards I care about. Okay. Well, Hardaway. Hardaway is exactly my point. I completely forgot about him because he didn't have a great year, but. They they have Hardaway. Well, this is just classic Knicks. You have Hardaway on the fucking team. You let him go to Atlanta. He makes a couple shots, and then you're like, "Hey, why don't you come back?" It's like if, if you pay work him at, seventy million. Yeah, to it's do like so. if you work at a company. Um, you know, you you hire a guy, you don't like him, so then you fire him, and then he goes to some other company, and you're like, "Oh my god!" Like he. He did a really good job doing the same exact job that he was doing for us, except, you know, maybe they just gave him a fucking chance. Oh, let's just triple his salary and make him the CFO while we're at it. 
Yeah, and it's actually a pretty that, solid he was, analogy. And he was an intern That's before a, that. That's <laughs> a pretty good analogy. You know, and, and and it's just like I don't want to see that from the Knicks again. The two, the three guards that I care about are if you really like him, Trey Burke, obviously Nilakina, and you're stuck with Hardaway for the next three years or four years or whatever. And you know, it's a guard league right now, and if you have to go out and get a guard, just don't spend all the money in the world on him. I'm excited to see what they're going to do in the draft. I'm excited to see what Fizdale does. But at this point, it's just let's look forward to the future and let's just build a team. You know You're not going nice? to win within the next six years. No. You're not. You know so let's be, build a fucking team. You know what would be nice to see if you're a Nick fan is you'd like to see stability because in the NBA – like I alluded to before, it is a brotherhood. They're all very close with each other. A lot of them have the same agents. A lot of them are, are pretty close on and off the court, especially the young guys. You know, they don't want to see a team constantly changing coaches every two or three years or changing GMs every two or three years or changing presidents of basketball operations and, and making those big splash names that never work. And, if if you are if you're looking for at the Knicks, you say I hired this guy. Come hell or high water, he's going to be my coach for the next six or seven years, unless there is a, you know, sexual harassment or a, or more of those issues, which you hope is not. And from all indications, he's a great guy. Everyone likes him. He, there's not a bad word to say about him. That tension in Memphis, I think, you know, Paul Gasol. Uh, or Marcus All rather hasn't won anything, so he's a great player. But you can't blame Fizdale for that. I think it was probably a combination of both on a losing team. It never makes anything easy. No, supposedly but, the story was was that um, Fizdale wanted to play 2017 basket up tempo basketball with a good point guard in Mike Conley, and Marcus All wanted to keep the grit and grind Grizzlies together that didn't win shit. And who are you going to go with? The coach who sees the writing on the wall of the new NBA, which is another reason why I'm semi-excited for Fizdale, or are you going to go with your player who is a slow, flat-footed big man that likes to pound it inside? Well, you're going to go with him because he's. you're, you're also paying, paying him $35 yep. million. Dollars. No, absolutely. Yeah. And I'd like to see if you don't build a really good team around him in Memphis if Marcus All ever even makes a playoff again. I don't know. Playing grit and grind, pound the ball down. Yeah, that's this, not how the NBA is This is, is not anymore. 1994. No. So I, I think, Good luck being a 7 and an 8 seed. Yep, and, and I think, too, is you got to give him a chance. It, the, that's all you can hope for with the Knicks. I know we've spent a decent amount of time on this topic, but I think it's important any any of the locals hire a new coach, especially you, you're hoping that he adapts to the landscape of the NBA and and you don't want the you don't want the page six news, you don't want the drama, you don't want the constant issues and tension between players. If he's a player's guy, then that should be taken care of. The next thing that you want him to do is if you can get a couple free agents, great. But really, it's develop the players that you already have. Absolutely. Just That's develop how the, the players. NBA goes. Develop the players that you have. Develop a system that this coach wants. Give them a little bit more leash than the coaches you've been giving. Because, like you said, clearly hiring, you know, cleaning house, hiring and rehiring. And the thing that they do the worst is they'll hold over somebody from the old staff and bring in these new people. And they don't like each other. And then they clean this guy and that guy and blah, blah, blah. Just stability and don't mortgage your future on a, a player like Terry Rozier or you know any of the other guys that had you know a breakout season that you know aren't going to aren't going to move the needle 
No, and the last point that I wanted to make too is I don't want to hear about how it being New York and being Madison Square Garden because the NBA doesn't matter about that. You know, you take you're taking a team out in Oakland that people are clamoring to go play for. You had an Oklahoma City team this isn't that was great. Anymore. You had the San, the epicenter of the NBA universe in the last 25 years has been in San Antonio, Texas. So you don't need to worry about playing in New York City. If you're a good team and you show stability, player development, you will attract free agents. You will want people to come play there. You don't have to sell the Garden. You don't have to sell New York City. You don't have to sell any of that. Oakland's doing fine. San Antonio's doing fine. Oklahoma City did fine. Show stability. Show good player personnel development. Make shrewd moves. Show that you can build up some equity and respect across the NBA. And by doing that, the rest will take care of itself. Absolutely. Um, just please don't do anything stupid. That's all. Um, there will be a whole summer to, to see what will happen. Yeah, absolutely. Draft I think we talked too far. We talked too much about this already. I'm, I'm making my stomach hurts. Um, let's talk about let's talk some MLB and let's talk about a team that I'm actually there, excited there's about. There's a team that we, we let off that are the, a lot of fun to watch right now. We let off the podcast with um, a quick mention the Yankees who look great as of you know as of now. Um, we can go around the MLB a little bit before we wrap this thing up, um, but let's talk Yankees real quick, and then we'll talk about some other things that we think are important in baseball. Yeah, sounds good to me. So, obviously, the Yankees right now are looking like the best team in baseball, which is a far cry from two weeks ago when our panic meter was at 20 out of 10. Um, I think that there's something to be said for having a young team that just is that just likes to have fun and win. And, obviously, you, you have fun when you win. But you watch this team play. Didi just won the player of the month. First Yankee to do that uh, since Robinson Cano in 2010. Uh, you got Judge at already eight home runs. Stanton his, looks like he's starting to come around a little bit more. But the lineup is circular. And Duhar looks like the third baseman of the future. It's unfortunate that Drury got hurt, which allowed the door to open for him. But he has been that prospect that the Yankees didn't want to trade for Garrett Cole. He's been incredibly highly regarded within the organization. And he's showing why. His defense has been pretty good, too. They called up yep. Gleyber Torres. Hit his first home run in the bigs last night. He's had a couple of huge, huge hits already. And I know it sounds like I'm gushing, but, man, when you win 13 of 14, how could you not be excited, especially with all the other teams that we, that we root for in the locals? You know, this is, this is an exciting time, and this is the team we thought we were going to see when the season started. Absolutely. You know, it's early. Like I said at the beginning, they're going to go through their lulls, but the pitching staff seems to be figuring it out. Sonny Gray, even though it was a loss, even had a good game. Um, I, I'd like to see – I think we'd both like to see him build off of that. Um, maybe he maybe he figured it out. Maybe he can – you know, if you throw 95 miles an hour, you don't have to nibble so much. Maybe he can start trusting his pitches, start throwing some ground ball outs, um, and, and maybe Sonny Gray can figure it out. Um, the rest Severino of the team had an ace performance the other night. Yeah, we don't really have to say much about Severino at this point. He's great. The Yankees, knock on wood – finally figured out how to develop a starting pitcher. Um, and hopefully they, this can continue with guys like Sheffield got promoted. 
um, and a few other pitchers down down on the farm. Hopefully, they can figure out how to do this because, you know, every starting pitching development has been an issue for them. They seem to yeah. get relievers and position players. Yes, but if they can continue to do whatever they did with Sheffield, then they, you know, the the most coveted position in baseball will be covered. Yep. Yeah, a, a top tier starting pitcher. I mean, you look up and down that Houston rotation. Charlie Morton shut us down game aces. one. Dude, oh my God. Well he looked like well he he carved up the Yankees in game one of that series. And he's Verlander looked somehow Yeah, Verlander somehow looked even better in the second game. Um Keichel threw his seven innings of three run ball in the third game and McCullers, you know, looked like he wasn't gonna get past the fifth. Held on for six and six and two thirds, really good innings, and then Garrett Cole had a performance like any like no other last night against the Diamondbacks. He's dominating, and so they have an ace basically. Hey, every remember time that time that you said Sonny Gray was better than Garrett Cole? I do. Yeah. <laughs> Enough said. Right now, <laughs> hey, right now the jury's still out. He's had six starts. Okay. Okay. All right. Whatever. Whatever you have to say. Whatever keeps you, you know, sleeping at night. Um. But yeah. So Sheffield got promoted. You can speak to this a little bit more than I can, because, you know, I got better things to do than no, watch minor don't. league don't, baseball. Don't, pre- don't pretend like you have anything better else to do. <laughs> um. No. Uh. Justice Sheffield got promoted to Triple A. He he'd been pitching incredibly well in double a he was in double a all last year so this is his next step before the show and i don't think that he's gonna come up this year unless they really have issues i it would be i think it's not a good thing if he comes up this year yeah let him grow as much confidence as he possibly can down in triple a manage those innings and next year you know cc despite how incredibly good he's been this year i still don't think he comes back especially if they win he'll he'll ride off into the sunset you could. There's going to be a rotation spot open, and you think that with the mentality of the Yankees now, they're going to go get a guy, maybe two, to shore up that rotation before they promote another young kid to the rotation. Absolutely, and I think that segues into um, the Drury injury because um, with Andujar being so great and the Yankees being very deep on the bench, they have utility guys you know they i would say that drury could be a much better utility guy but you never know because he might be the type of guy that has to play the same position every day like if you look at stanton he's a little bit better when he's out there engaged in the field um he might be a, a decent trade candidate even though they just got him and he and i am i still have a crush on him yeah it's gonna be but hard you're, point, you're gonna probably have to send him a, a little love letter goodbye letter if they do in fact trade him okay well that's fine because i can have a new crush and it'll be michael <laughs> fulmer there you go um but you know uh, the yankees already have neil walker who who's showing signs of life um and he can play two to even if you need him at third base three positions and they have Torres. we've had you know we sorry they've had him for a few years um and he can play all over the field and all he does is stick him in the outfield if you desperately need him yeah no he'll swing at anything he's like a (laughs) mini mini version of vladimir guerrero but um drury at this point looks to be the odd man out because you still have austin and you have a Greg Bird, God willing, he doesn't sneeze and get a concussion or um, get out of bed and roll his ankle. He's coming back up, and you know just just from his track record that when he comes up, when healthy, he is one of the more productive first basemen in baseball. Super small sample size because he's hurt all the time, but 
when he's there, he's great. Oh, yeah, for sure. And the other thing, I think you made a super good point about Drury is, you know, Miguel Andujar is not a third baseman that they've kind of liked. It, it, all rumors were was that he was the reason that the Garrett Cole trade didn't happen this offseason. They wanted Clint Frazier and, and Andujar, and the Yankees refused to trade Miguel Andujar, knowing probably that there was going to be an opportunity for them to get a Brandon Drury. And I think the Brandon Drury acquisition simply showed that they didn't want to have to call up Andujar yet. They wanted him to get as much seasoning down in AAA as he possibly could, learn to play a little first base as well. And you know he's going to go into a slump. So that's the only thing that that I would say could deter them from trading Andujar is that he may go into a slump and he may stay in a slump to where it's almost to the point where he's unplayable. I could really see that happening. He's a free swinger. He still hasn't developed an approach at the plate. He still doesn't have a great eye. He's hot right now. He's really seeing the ball well. But you see an even a season hitter in Giancarlo Sin. That can turn real quick. And when you have a young free swinger that doesn't have an approach at the plate, he can look really bad for a really long time. And that's when you'd want to maybe send him down for a little bit and have you know a, a, a more steady fielder and, and a more veteran, even though he's still young, a more experienced major league bat in Drury come in and play. Yeah, and that's certainly the argument that you could make. I mean, Miguel Andujar certainly has those issues that you alluded to, but his eye has gotten a little bit better. He does seem like he has a little bit more of an approach just with the uh, with the reps. But He's, he's not, not your kid. He, you don't have to defend not, every move he I can makes. certainly defend anything I want. Uh, no, but he's the talent that they didn't want to trade. And that's, you know, that it's going to be hard for them to say that they're one of their homegrown guys because that's how the Yankees are. They do not like to trade their homegrown talent unless they absolutely have to. No, absolutely. And if I think there's a guy that's going to go, it's Drury because if Drury, even if he's great and Andahar's great too, you got to pay him sooner. Like you said, they like to hold on to their homegrown guys. I'm not a bi- I don't really care if you're great, you're great in my opinion, but... That's exactly but that's how just the, the track Yankees record are. That they've Absolutely. Been showing. Yep. But you know, um, I think he'd be a decent piece of of trade bait in a trade, and maybe they can package him and and a and a low player to be named starter and Jacoby Ellsbury into a package you mean for Jacoby former. Ellsbury just got put on the sixty day DL and has had an oblique strain, a hip issue, and now plantar fasciitis in the exact same office. He would look really good in Detroit <laughs> Tigers blue and white. <laughs> oh my god. I think he would love Detroit. I heard it's beautiful this time. Oh of year. yeah, I know it's it's beautiful all time of year. It, it's the real uh, destination for tourists these days. Um, <laughs> so, no, so they the don't next want, they don't want to do that. No one no one's going to take him. I, I could see I would love Fulmer. I could see something happening, and we'll, we're not going to get too much into this. There's no need to, but I think a team like the Giants makes sense. If you could get them to trade Madison Bumgarner, that team is bad. That team is not winning anytime soon, yeah. and their farm system is absolute garbage. You could see the Yankees going out and getting a guy like Bumgarner to sure up the front end, and then a guy like um, on Atlanta, Tehran, Julio Tehran be a great fourth, fifth starter for the Yankees. Yeah, um, And now, they wouldn't have to give up too much to get him. No, especially the Giants because you could trade a Clint Frazier, probably a Tyler Austin and a Tyler Wade and maybe a low A ball or, or high A ball pitcher just because their farm system is so depleted that they're going to have to take whatever offers they can. They're not in a position, kind of like the Marlins, to really drive that bus, especially on a, on a team that's not set up to win at any point soon with the landscape of the National League West. And the AAA, Scranton, 
I love some Clint Frazier. He he's so fun to watch. Repping it for the gingers. Repping it for the gingers, man. I tell you what, he he finally gives uh he just, gives my people some a good name for once. But there he, there's he no, no room. Spot. There's he has no, no room. spot. And Hicks is playing great. There will be an injury, and I think he will get a spot. And these things have a way of working themselves out. It's the same thing as the Drury thing. But if you can go out and get a guy like Madison Baumgartner for him, and then go out and trade Drury for a guy like a Falmer or something like that. It's a trade that has to be made. I think there's still some tread on the tires for Bumgardner, and you know I got a crush on Fulmer. He's young. He's far out from free agent. He's just about to go into arbitration. And, you know, Frazier's a great player, but outfield is our most, by far our most crowded. You have two young stud corner outfielders, and then as long as Hicks can stay healthy, I mean, he's got every tool that you need to be – Yep, and a, I think an he's all-star the, center fielder. Yes, and I think he's the placeholder the next year or two until Estevan Floreal comes up through yeah, the system, plays your center field in 2020. But so I think it, Clint Frazier, it's this is going to be the year. Uh, this is going to be the year for him uh, to see if he stays in the organization or not. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a roadblock in going to get a top-tier pitcher because, as I was saying before. Um, there's now an opening in the back end of the rotation because Jordan Montgomery has a flexor tendon strain in his left arm, and he's out six to eight weeks. Thank God it wasn't Tommy John, but you could tell that he didn't look right after that first inning against Houston. And this is they're going to need to fill that spot. Domingo Herman starting tomorrow. He looked yep. great in relief. I know they think highly of him. Uh, he's not one of their top guys, but he's got very good stuff. And we'll see what happens, but they're going to need a fourth or fifth starter now. Yeah, no, and 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 an arm injury, especially something that is described by all reports as an elbow issue, um, six to eight weeks could mean twelve weeks. It could mean even more. They could, you know, really baby him because they the the Yankees like him a lot as a starter. I think he could be a back end starter for the next five years for the Yankees. So you know, they're not going to treat this. They're not going to take this lightly. Um, and that segues into something that I think needs to be spoken about before we wrap things up, and that's the Mets getting rid of Matt Harvey. Um, he's uh, Let's just summarize this and get it over quickly, and then we can talk about whether or not we think it's a good move for the Yankees. He's a pain in the ass. He still thinks he's an ace. He clearly is you know, a disruption in the clubhouse from last year all the way to this year, refusing to go to the bullpen, getting sent down, getting refusing to go down on top of that. Basically, the the Mets are saying, we just got to get rid of you. If there's a trade out there, we'll take it, but there's not going to be, and he's going to get released. And what a fall from grace. We said this um, a couple weeks ago. You go from starting the All-Star game, being called the Dark Knight, semi-self-proclaimed, but, you know, just being literally – I mean, I wasn't really around for Dwight for Dwight Gooden, but every I'm not a Mets fan. I I could care less if the Mets are successful or not. But between the year where he was a starter on the All Star team up until that Cubs World Series, I would find myself having to figure out how to watch every single Harvey start. He was electric. He was probably the most electric player in New York. I don't even know since. I mean, I feel like the Yankees they're they're consistent all their players, but there was no hype guys like that for the Yankees. And we, they, the Mets had needed that player since Dwight Gooden, and now they are releasing him, if you can believe that. He has gone from 
pitching a almost complete game in the World Series and absolutely dominating, looked like an absolute stud to being a pain in the ass and them just saying, you know what, you're not even worth it. Well, yeah. Oh, dude, you, you said all of that perfectly. And the thing, too, is he's always been a pain in the ass. He's always been a little bit. But, you know, like uh, every but, but other great player, you deal winning, with that. And you're putting, because let's call it how it is, just from the Mets' perspective real quick. You know, the Mets are an organization that loves the headlines. They don't have the pedigree that the Yankees do. They're a little bit more flashy, and they want those – they love to be the talk of the town. No, absolutely. And And when he came up, that was what was taking spotlight and viewership from the casual fan from the Yankees to the Mets. Every fifth day, it was must-watch must TV. And it was perfect timing because the Yankees weren't that great. And, you know, the the last thing you can say is, you said he was a pain in the ass. He wasn't a pain in the ass when he was winning. He was a bulldog. He was a competitor. This All the, all the stupid adjectives that we use in sports, he was all that. But then when you start to lose... Personality doesn't change at all, but then it becomes he's a problem in the locker room. He's too competitive. Everybody's scared of him because he's the ace. All this other yada, yada, yada. That shit was not being said when he was going out there and striking out 10 players a game and winning nearly every single game, throwing 100 miles an hour with a nasty curveball and being the only thing that the Mets had for since they went to the World Series in 2000, 2000. And with Mike Piazza. Yep, and and I think, too, is, you know, I he he, he had that arrogance, and he, he was the starter. You could tell he didn't like when DeGrom was talked about as the Mets' best pitcher. And then, God forbid, and, Syndergaard. And then when Syndergaard came up, you could see he was losing his spotlight, and instead of being the mentor and the guy that was – because it wasn't even a, like a passing of the torch. It was – they were going to build the best rotation in the major leagues. And instead of worrying about how it would be as a team and how all of them could feed off each other and make them better, he was very – you know, he was very juvenile was and dick. childish. Let's just yeah, say. he was a dick. He was a dick. And, and, and there were stories coming out. Um, I know Joel Sherman from the New York Post mentioned that there were stories about how, you know, when Syndergaard came up, he was doing interviews from the hallway because he felt intimidated in the clubhouse because of how Harvey would look at him. And you know what? That's so wrong. And I have to give kudos to the Mets here because they could have made every excuse to keep him. They're a very cheap franchise. They're paying him $5 million. He was the dark knight. I know he's been awful, but you can make a lot of excuses to keep him. But you know what? They finally said, we've had it. And they're trying to cultivate a new persona and a new and a new atmosphere in that clubhouse. And Callaway coming f- over from the Indians – one of the best clubhouses managed by Terry Francona, he's not going to stand for that. And especially if you're not producing, I mean, he was relegated to mop-up duty in a blowout game against the Braves, and he gave up four more runs. It was over. And and you can't – now the excuse is over. You cannot afford to keep a guy like that in your rotation, in your bullpen, in your organization as a whole. So good for the Mets. I'm glad they got rid of him. And I personally don't want – any part of him as a Yankee fan. I, d- I disagree. Um, I mean, just to summarize that part, he was a dick. There's nothing more you have to say. Perfect adjective to describe him. He's always been a dick, but when you're great, you can be a dick. When you suck, you can't. Bottom line. Now, if he becomes a free agent and the, y- the Yankees need a starter right now, 
if they can sign him for nothing and give him a what you want to call send him down to Tampa, give him an, an extended spring training, it's still early in the season, I could see his velocity jumping back up to 95 miles an hour and you give him a chance. If you give him the league minimum, what do you have to lose, honestly? So that would be a George Steinbrenner move. I think if George was the owner, he would wait every one of those 10 days the Mets had to trade him. I don't think anyone's going to trade for him because why? what's even the point of trading like a fringe minor league prospect for him when you know you could probably get him for free? No, absolutely that, not. So George would be waiting, watching the clock of the every day for those 10 days till he was officially a free agent and then have a have a limo go pick him up across town and bring him to the stadium. I don't think that's the, how the current regime is working. The other thing too is we talked about this when Todd Frazier went to the Mets and they were rolling early. There's there's something to be said for locker room atmosphere and I know people are going to say, "Oh, well he's always wanted to be a Yankee and if you put him in the Yankees organization he's going to get better." I don't think that changes a no, person. No, and I don't and think I don't that's want him going down either. to the minor leagues, you know, intimidating the young talent that the Yankees CC Sabathia runs the pitchers in this organization I don't, from single A up. I don't look at it like that at all. He's getting cut from a team. You're trash. He's not going to come in here. But acting he doesn't like think he, he is. He didn't even think he was worthy of being sent down. Well, he thinks he's an ace. Well, there's a difference between if if not only do you get cut, but you get signed to a minor league deal, you're trash. So maybe he'll come in with his tail between his legs. What's the worst that the Yankees can do? Cut him so they pay him the league minimum. But I think you're then giving him an opportunity away from some of the other heralded prospects in your organization, and I think it's a bad optic to bring. But they're in not going to bring like him that. up anyway. They're not going to bring you. We and you both said earlier they do not want to bring up guys like Sheffield. So yeah, you might take a couple starts away from them here and there. But if Harvey can take a month and get back into form, and I'm not saying he's going to come back out and be that guy that we no, talked about. You want about. a fourth or fifth starter? Exactly. If he can come in and and be Charlie Morton, who was a f- who was almost out of Major League Baseball, re reinvents himself in um, Pittsburgh as with a, a kind of a Roy Holiday esque pitcher, and I don't know how, but he's throwing 100 miles an hour again. Maybe maybe Harvey should go and talk to him um, if he can be something like that. To where he can go out and maybe dominate one out of every five starts, or at least give you five innings. I think it's worth paying the guy the league minimum, and then at the very worst, you see something on your screen, Bleacher Report. Oh, Yankees cut Matt Harvey. Who cares? So I hear what you're saying, and from I don't talent- think he's gonna poison the mind of these young starters. He hasn't been with this organization that long. He's not gonna be looked at the same exact way that he's looked at in the uh, with the Mets. And I just think fucking throw darted him you're not giving him a five-year deal for a hundred million dollars i get where you're coming from from a talent perspective i i I get what you're saying i really do i I can see both sides of the argument my personal preference and what i believe that this yankee regime is going to do is going to say listen we don't want the back page headlines you we don't want the news we don't want the circus following us to screen the only publicity they want their minor league to get is the top prospects playing they don't want the circus going down there for a Matt Harvey start they don't want to talk about how he pitched three innings in in Scranton or in Trenton and gave up five runs and and I think that the way the Yankees look at it right now is they've got a good thing going on they're winning their farm system is pretty pretty talented 
And they have guys like a. I'd rather throw a dart at Domingo Herman. They got him in the Evaldi trade. He was kind of the forgotten piece. He's got good stuff. I don't think he's a future pitcher, but you never know. But I'd rather take a chance with a guy like that. You know they're going to go make a, a move for a starter. Hopefully it's a Fulmer or a Bumgarner. Maybe it's somebody we're not even thinking about right now. But those are the guys. I don't need to take a flyer on somebody who I know is just going to make the Yankees. The Yankees right now are getting publicity for being a good team, a fun team, with a lot of mojo working. CC Sabathia controls that clubhouse. I don't think Harvey would get away with nearly the shit he did with the Mets because he'd be walking into a more stable organization. If there is an organization that could fix him from a mentality standpoint and then pitching it'd be the Yankees but I just don't think it's worth the headache I don't think it's worth the talk I don't think it's worth any of that they're happy with how they're going right now and just keep it the way it is let them go to Cincinnati or Pittsburgh listen the way I see it is this and I guess we could cap it off with this I I if Domingo Herman is a good pitcher you're not gonna lose anything by signing Harvey if he's great then you cut Harvey there's it's a no-lose situation in my opinion for the Yankees okay um I agree I'd be happy to come on this podcast in two months if the Yankees go and trade for a pitcher they continue to win and I'd say listen you're right Herman was a a, a great stopgap right but if if they can do somewhat what they did with A-Rod after the suspension keep him down and have a quote-unquote extended spring training Get your shit together, and then maybe they can bring him in, try him out, and see how he does for a couple good spot starts. I wouldn't care if he does, because if you keep him down there, away from the team, he's not going to poison anybody's brain, blah, blah, blah. Maybe the talent will come back. Maybe he'll refocus himself. Maybe he's at rock bottom right now, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he could, he could figure it out. And why not throw try him why not take a flyer you don't have to you don't owe him anything he he's already clearly a broken player because i mean there's nothing more embarrassing than within a a, a two week span getting sent to the bullpen getting sent to triple a and then getting kicked off the team if if that's if the Yank if he can't come in humble to the Yankees, cut him loose. He's out of baseball forever. He'll never pitch again. Yeah, the only team too is like you know he wanted to be the next Derek Jeter. He wanted to be a Yankee. The Yankees are the organization that he wanted, and that's why I said I agree, it would be yeah. a George move because George loved getting those former Met stars to come over and win World Series like a Gooden, like a Strawberry, um, and you they both had you know personal issues too. Uh, whether it be substance abuse, whether it be, uh, you know, what have you. But, you know, taking those broken Mets and bringing them to to the Bronx. And if there is a team that he would change for, it'd be the team he grew up rooting for and the team he's always kind of wanted to play for. I just don't personally think it's worth the headache. I think they've got a great thing going on. But from a talent perspective, I certainly get both sides of the argument. And if they sign him, and I see in 10 days that the Yankees sign Matt Harvey to an incentive deal and they send him down to Tampa or Trenton or wherever, I'm not going to throw a hissy fit. I just personally wouldn't do it. That's just that's just my opinion. Hey, and you could be totally right. I could be saying, you know, whether they sign him or not, if it goes bad or they don't sign him and the Yankees continue to have success, I'll be happy to come on here and tell you you're right and – you know, a couple weeks, but if they do sign him and they can even squeeze out, you know, what's the league minimum? 350 yeah, like K. Yeah. yeah. If they can squeeze out $350,000 worth of him, which I would take that in a heartbeat right now. I would kill for that kind of money in the grand scheme of things for a, for a billion dollar organization. Isn't much, you know, if they can even squeeze out a million dollars worth of him, uh, I mean, 
perfect scenario would be everything works out and he ends up being your fifth starter for the rest of the season. He has a resurrection and then you say, thank you, goodbye, and he can go pitch in Pittsburgh for, for you know, $5 million a year or whatever. But he figures out a way to, to kind of carry the back end of the rotation and have a decent end of the season. Because you know he's probably going to sign with a team because he's going to try and get that next contract. He never got a big contract. Yeah, and teams are absolutely going to kick the tires on him. My biggest thought is the that... Yankees will speak to his agent. Whether we know it or not, you know well, it's going to Boris. It's eh, Boris. Who cares? Yeah. I don't know. It, it's, it's so it doesn't inter- matter who his agent is. He's a, he's He's got a black mark next to his name. He, uh, Boris is going to have to come in, and he is going to have to come in with his tail between his legs and say all the right things and do all the right things. And he's going to have to take the league minimum. He just got cut from a team. Yeah. Well said. No, and, and and exactly right. I mean, he is rock bottom. Is he got he cut is. from a team that, like you said, would never cut anyone. And, and you know and, they and didn't want to do it. They no. just had no choice. But, I mean, that's enough talk. I hope that you're right. I hope that the Yankees can figure it out internally and then go and get the big starters. But, you know, we'll see. It's just it's something interesting to talk about. Oh, for sure. You know, with the NFL, you know, out of the conversation right now for a little bit, baseball is going to continually heat up. This was a story that not just hit New York, but it was national just the fall from grace that this guy had so dramatically quick. You don't quick. see it too often. No, and, and, and you know, part of me would love to see them sign him just to stick it to the Mets, and especially if he pitches great. I just don't think it's worth the headache, and I think it, it's, it's cool to see your own young players develop, especially if you have them. But who knows? We're going to find out within the next couple weeks and uh, even before that, next eight to ten days. So, I think we can call it a day here, man. What do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. We got some good uh, NBA playoffs. The, the MLB is going to continue to heat up uh, along with the weather. So, yeah, um, we'll, we'll be back next week. Um, some big changes hopefully coming from the pod and a few other things that we can announce within the next, you know, month or two. You know, I mean, this isn't our job, so things take a little bit longer because we do this for free, but... I think uh, things have been moving along pretty well. So yeah, getting into the double digits with now with shows. Absolutely, episode ten. So yeah, man, I will. Uh, I'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. Yeah, yeah. we'll have a uh, and we'll be in the uh, conference finals in the NBA by then too. Absolutely, man. All right. All right. Take care.